Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, covering Texas agriculture from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. Drought conditions worsen across Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Rural Texas does its part to be counted in the 2020 census. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. End of October is kind of a cutoff date for many things in gardening in Texas, so please join me, John Begno, as we talk about transition month of October. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domo with a look at news headlines. Drought continued to expand across Texas over the past week. According to the Texas Water Development Board, 43% of the state is now suffering from moderate or worse drought. That is up three percentage points from last week and up nine percentage points from three months ago. Exceptional drought now impacts 23 counties in West Texas. That's about 5% of the state. Registration is underway for a West Texas pesticide workshop hosted by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. The event will be held from 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. November 10th in Rankin. Cost is $40. RSVP to the Extension Office in either Pecos or Upton counties. For more, visit today.agrilife.org. The Department of Interior has removed the gray wolf from the list of endangered species. After being on the list for more than 40 years, management and protection of the gray wolf will now fall under state and tribal wildlife management agencies. American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval said the removal of the gray wolf from the list shows how careful management and partnerships between state and federal agencies can result in the successful recovery of a once-threatened species. The Lampasas and Mills County's range tour will be held online from 10 a.m. to noon, November 10th on Zoom. The tour is free, but pre-registration is required. Additional details are available on today.agrilife.org. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking all Texas boaters to ensure they clean, drain, and dry their boats, personal watercraft, and gear when leaving Texas waterways. The department issued the reminder after it discovered the invasive plant Giant Salvinia on Lone Star Lake. Giant Salvinia is an invasive, fast-growing plant that can be a major threat to aquatic ecosystems. It can be found on about 30 acres in the far upper end of the reservoir. The Marshall District Fisheries Management Team and the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department's Aquatic Habitat Enhancement Team say they'll work together to treat and manage the invasive species on the lake. Since June, eight Texas lakes have been infested with giant salvinia. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The 2020 census is wrapped up and Texas stands to gain from the growth in our state's population. 
Tom Nicoletti has more on the importance of the census. For more insight into the importance of the census, we now go to Washington and Stephen Buckner. He is with the U.S. Census Bureau, serving as Assistant Director for Communications. Why is the census so important? Well, the the census is so important that our founding fathers actually put it right up on the top of the Constitution. So Article 1, Section 2 states that we do a census for reapportioning the U.S. House of Representatives. That is, to have a representative democracy, you have to split the amount of representation among the states. And so that's why we do the census once every 10 years, and we've been doing it since 1790. It's also about money. It's about um, money that comes back to state and local governments uh, for key uh, programs, public services like health clinics, schools, roads food and farm assistance programs, even unemployment insurance. For rural America, it also means uh, services for water and waste uh, disposal, rural business development grants, and rural housing preservation grants. So it's really, really key uh, to get an accurate count because we only do it once every 10 years. uh, And if you're not counted, it's not just a one-year mistake, it's a 10-year mistake. Where does uh, the information go from there? How long does it take for for you to assimilate all of that information uh, to make uh, heads or tails out of it for uh, for the future for uh, you know the infrastructure and educational and other uh, funding uh, moving forward for the next ten years? Yeah, the census is one of those rare government functions that actually has a deadline and that you have to meet. Uh, and by law, we normally have to report the data by December thirty first of the census year and report the totals to the president and to the Congress. But because of COVID and the pandemic the nation is under right now, we've worked with Congress and leaders to push back some of our census deadlines. And therefore, we've pushed deadline for producing the data to March 31st of 2021. That's when the apportionment totals will come out. And then very shortly right after that, we'll start producing state-level redistricting data for the state legislators to then go and redistrict their states. That is Stephen Buckner. He is with the U.S. Census Bureau in Washington, D.C. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The end of October marks a transition in gardening here in Texas. Horticulturalist John Begno has more from San Angelo. Well, here we are in the latter part of October, and we're looking at cutoff dates typically for a lot of things. And one of them is warm season grass planting. Whether it's St. Augustine or Bermuda, for most of Texas, we have very little time to get it established before either we get a surprise early frost or it just cools down naturally. So we've kind of canceled all of those new steps on that. But cool season planting like rye, annual rye, perennial rye, and fescue are perfect at this time. So if you have a bunch of bare ground out there and you don't want to be tracking mud in through the winter or have that blow and dust like you might in West Texas, then planting, provided you have a little irrigation of rye right now and fescue right now, are good choices to help hold that ground. We're also wrapping up our winterizer fertilizer. We don't necessarily fertilize all winter because plants are not growing all winter in many cases, but we like to get them a little bit toughened. So we put a winter fertilizer out, and you should have that down in the next week or two for your lawns, your trees, and your shrubs. If you have a winter weeds last year, then pre-emergent weed killer applied right now will help prevent those weeds from coming up. Also, don't forget your winter annuals, your pansies, your dianthus, your cabbage, your kale. Great time to plant that. So let's make winter a little bit more colorful by planting annuals. This is John Dagno from San Angelo. The condition of the nation's cotton crop continues to decline, with the percentage of the crop rated good to excellent going down, while the percentage rated poor or very poor is going up. USDA meteorologist Brand Rippey looks at the numbers. 
cotton condition for the week ending November 1st, showing a net overall decline. 37% of the cotton rated good to excellent. That's down three percentage points from last week. 34% rated very poor to poor. That is up three points from last week. Overall, the Southeast noted only minor crop condition declines. In Virginia, for example, 36% of the cotton rated very poor to poor, up two points from last week. But some bigger problems in Texas, now half the crop rated very poor to poor. That's up four percentage points from a week ago. And there has been obviously a lot of drought issues in Texas, but also now with the winter storm moving across, not the greatest time of year to see rain, freezing rain, sleet, and snow across cotton. So that likely accounts for some of the condition decline that was observed in Texas. And harvest progress is slow this year thanks to several major weather events. If you look at the southeast, it's really a different story. We have uh, actually seven states across the southeast and the delta where cotton harvest progress ranges anywhere from 15 to um, 46 percentage points behind the state five-year averages. Top of that list is Missouri, where the cotton harvest on November 1st is only 32% complete compared to the five-year average of 78%. Not much better is Virginia, 24% harvested. Five-year average is 58%. Other states showing very slow harvest progress for cotton due to wetness includes Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and South Carolina. As Brad Rippey mentioned, the cotton crop here in Texas continues to get worse. Here's a rundown of the latest numbers. 6% of the crop now rated excellent, 17% good, 27% fair, and 50%, one half of the Texas cotton crop rated poor to very poor. The final H-2A rule announced this week by the Department of Labor gives farmers predictability in farm employee wages. Michael Clements has more from Washington. The Department of Labor this week announced a change in how farm labor rate increases are determined. Allison Crittenden, American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, says the final rule no longer uses USDA's farm labor survey for workers who fall under core farm occupations. So we're no longer using the survey-based wage methodology that have all those drastic swings from year to year of a 23% increase in one year or a 10% increase in a different region. Instead, we're moving to a two-year freeze and then using the employment cost index, which isn't as volatile to dictate the increases starting in 2023. Crittenden says farmers need the predictability provided by the final rule. It provides stability and some level of predictability, especially for the next two years, knowing that wages won't increase until 2023 for those that qualify for the core farm occupations. Predictability and stability are very needed right now during the pandemic and all of the market uncertainty that we're still facing. Crittenden says the final rule puts in place a fair process that doesn't undermine the efforts to pay farm workers fair wages. But it allows farmers to plan for the year ahead without having a drastic increase thrust on them at the beginning of the year. The ECI is a more stable index with increases ranging approximately 2.24% each year on average over the last decade. So it's something that allows farmers to predict and plan and figure out their labor needs while still paying a fair wage to their employees. Michael Clements, Washington. 
The number of Texas hunters has declined over the past few years, but the number of turkeys hasn't. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more on fall turkey season on Texas Ag Today. There's a new knee surgery technique being used by equine orthopedic surgeons, and it reduces both cost and complications. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that technique coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There's a new knee surgery technique being used on horses that both saves money and reduces complications. Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at this new technique. Disorders of the equine knee are not uncommon and many require surgery. Previously, arthroscopic surgery required general anesthesia, which is always a risk in horses. Recently, a technique has been developed by Dr. Alvaro Bonilla from the University of Montreal that allows arthroscopic surgery to be performed on standing and sedated horses, so general anesthesia is not required. Dr. Bonilla developed a custom-made splint holding the bent knee in place, which also partially supports the horse's weight, and the arthroscopic equipment, which makes the procedure less risky to the horse and less expensive to the owner. The researchers developed a technique to scope the middle and radiocarpal joints of the horse's knee. They determined the horse's knee needed to be flexed 110 degrees and they tested the technique on six horses. The splint to hold the horses at this angle for 20 minutes was made adjustable so it could fit many different size horses. Assistants monitored the head and leg position during the surgery and no complications were noted. There is a concern about breaking the arthroscopic needle that is inserted deep in the joint if the horse moves and this could be a serious issue. Dr. Bonilla indicates this procedure cannot be used on all horses as it is important to make sure the horse is calm during the procedure, and some horses may not be candidates. It is fairly common to perform arthroscopic procedures on equine knees, and this is just another option that may be affected in selected cases. All horses with knee problems do not need arthroscopy, but some require this procedure for diagnosis and treatment. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The number of Texas hunters has declined over the past few years, but the number of turkeys has not. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Starting Saturday, hunters in select counties will have the opportunity to take advantage of the fall turkey season. Jason Harden, wild turkey program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, said this year hunters have an annual bag limit of four. So if a hunter bags three in the fall, they're only allowed one in the spring. And in our certain counties, those Rio Grande counties just east of I-35, going from Milam County south to Matagorda County, and in the 13 eastern counties, going from Grayson County down the Red River and down the Louisiana line, for the most part, that only have a spring season. Hunters are encouraged to check out the Outdoor Annual online or use the app to ensure they are hunting in a county that has a fall season. 
After bagging a turkey, hunters must fill out a tag fully and tag it immediately. The main thing is that you do get that tag on the bird where it's going to stay on the bird. I like to put it on the bird's leg. You do have to maintain proof of sex in most of the counties here in the fall because there is opportunity to take bearded hens in some counties or even just any hen or any bird in other counties. So we do want to maintain proof of sex. You can take those legs off take the beard off if you want to process that bird, put the meat in the cooler, but you maintain the beard. If it is a hen or a bearded hen, you need to maintain some patch of skin. We can tell sex of the birds based off feather coloration on those breast feathers that come with the beard. The number of turkey hunters and hunters in general in Texas has been declining over the past few years but the number of turkeys hasn't. Over the past decade, generally we've seen a growing population of turkeys, but turkeys aren't pursued as hard as they are in some of the southeastern states. There's lots of opportunity. Generally, our harvest rates are fairly low in Texas. That was Jason Harden from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. The cattle market moved lower on Tuesday, but the cotton market recovered some of the recent losses and took a jump higher. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this... It could be too late to save your truck, and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures closed lower on Tuesday with both live and feeder cattle ending up in the red. December live cattle down 72 cents, 107.82. February down 22 at 110.30. The April down 12, 113.70. Feeder cattle closing lower. November down 85, 136.12. January feeders down 87, 133.17. The March down 67, 133.15. Cash-fed cattle market still quiet on Tuesday. The feedlots pricing cattle from 108 to 110. No bids reported from the packers. Boxed beef prices higher. Choice up $1.53 at 210.18. Select up 284, 195.46. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. Nixon Livestock Commission, Nixon, Texas, selling 1,499 head this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, a dollar twenty-two to a dollar sixty-three a pound. Three to four hundred pounders, a dollar thirty-one to a dollar eighty-five. Four to five weight steers, a dollar twenty-three to a dollar eighty-one. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar eight to a dollar forty-five. Six to seven weights, a dollar one to a dollar twenty-seven. With seven to eight hundred pounders bringing ninety-seven to a dollar twenty-one a pound. Slaughter cows, 25 to 64 cents. Slaughter bulls, 60 to 88. Stocker cows, 610 to 915 a head. Cow-calf pairs, 650 to 1260 a pair. 
Live Oak Livestock Auction in Three Rivers, Texas, sold 1,108 head this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.26 to $1.74. Three to four hundred pounders, $1.18 to $1.64. Four to five weight steers, $1.16 to $1.56. Five to six hundred pounders, a dollar four to a dollar forty a pound. Six to seven weights brought ninety-eight to a dollar thirty, and the seven to eight hundred pound steers ninety-two cents to a dollar twenty-four a pound. Slaughter cows twenty-four to sixty cents. Slaughter bulls sixty to eighty-two. Stocker cows brought five hundred to a thousand dollars a head. Cow calf pairs six fifty to ten fifty a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs were mixed. December down 55 cents, closing at 65.40. The February up 22, 65.52. November class 3 milk up 2 cents, 23.82 a hundredweight. After several days of dropping prices, the cotton market finally turned around on Tuesday and closed sharply higher. We saw triple-digit gains mainly because of USDA's weekly crop progress report. It showed that the nation's cotton crop continues to get worse from a condition standpoint. Of course, we've seen that all year long here in Texas, but now we're seeing it throughout the entire cotton belt. It showed that we have 37% of the crop rated good to excellent. That's down from last week's 40%. We also saw a jump in the poor to very poor categories. That caused prices to move sharply higher. December cotton up 151 points, 70.24. The March up 148 at 71.20. The wheat market closed higher, mainly on the same situation as cotton. USDA reducing the quality ratings of the wheat crop that's newly planted in the ground. December Kansas City wheat up 4 cents, 5.57. New crop July wheat up 3.5, 5.71.5. December corn up 3.5, closing at 4.01 a bushel. In the energy markets, December natural gas down 18 cents, 3.05. December crude oil up 97 cents, 37.78 a barrel. And the financial markets higher, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 531 points, 27,457. The NASDAQ up 184, 11,142. The S&P 500 up 55, 3,365. Well, that's a look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right here tomorrow waiting to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We'll see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.